Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Can, uh, can you guys promise me that we'll never get to the point where we're too big or too sexy to not razz each other like family like that? Yeah? That's great. Uh, my name's Trey Gilmore. We are in our last week of the book of Acts. Uh, we will maybe have Acts returns, who knows when, but this is week nine of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. It is the fifth book in the New Testament. New Testament is on the right side of your Bible towards the end. Uh, We have been trekking through the book of Acts. If you're curious, what is the book of Acts? It is named the book of Acts, not A-X, A-C-T-S, Acts of the Apostles. The things they have done after Jesus essentially uh, promises them this Holy Spirit that we talk of. And uh, he ascends and he says, hey, this this spirit uh, that I'm going to give you is going to help you do what you need to do to start basically the church, which you're sitting in these seats because of what they have done uh, several hundreds of years ago. And as you're turning there, I want to start with the story. I think it'll kind of set the, the, um, the feeling for today. Uh, there's a story I, I once read that I thought was pretty funny um, by this comedian. He, uh, he says, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump off. I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, well, God loves you. And, and, he, and he said, do you believe in God? And the guy said, well, yes. And he said, okay, well, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. And he said, me too. He said, are you Protestant or Catholic? And he said, Protestant. And I said, me too. Well, what denomination? And he said, Baptist. And I said, me too. Are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist, he said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic. And I pushed him off the bridge. Some of you are like, what is going on? In the church world, this is what we call ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. There are thousands of different denominations and beliefs. And what started off as a guy trying to love a guy uh, became tribalism to the point where he was hoping that guy would die. And we laugh, but... Many of you have encountered this, where you're like sizing up somebody, you're having a political conversation, you're having a moral conversation, whatever, a, a, a conversation about religion or whatever, and you're like, oh yeah, we can agree on these things, cool, like we're, we're buddies, we're bros, and then all of a sudden, they say something, and you're like, uh-oh, I don't like what they're saying, and that makes me uncomfortable, and it makes me angry, and if they're probably just ignorant, right? They're just not smart. They don't read the right things, right? I just need to educate them. And before you know it, then you antagonize them, they're your villain, and then there you go, right? And this story kind of pushes at this concept that I want to talk about today. I have one main point, and it has two pieces to it. And I'm going to give you the first point right now so you can let it ruminate in your brain. It is that the church is full of broken people. The church is full. Can you repeat that with me? The church is full of broken people. And if you're, if you're thinking, you know, 
broken people, you are included in that lot of people, unfortunately. And this story kind of gives us the idea of that, that, that you're capable of loving people, but there's always this kind of certain agenda or bias or comfort that you have that affects the decisions and the thinking that you have. And ironically, it's kind of a timely week with a lot of political unrest. And uh, this was not, this, this teaching was planned months ago. We just went through the book of Acts, uh, just going through it verse by verse. And this is what happened to be this week, which I think is incredibly timely. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is this idea of the church not being perfect. In fact, when you read the first few chapters of the book of Acts, it's this idyllic perfect time. And you see these disciples that are just like giving themselves over to the spirit and crazy things are having people are being healed they're giving these insane sermons people are coming to faith they start a mega church they went from 150 to over 10,000 in just a few weeks and and people are just giving their life over to Jesus they're putting all their money together they're like trying to help people and and it starts to it starts to beg the question and, and a lot of people pull pull from the book of acts what it is to be the church today and you've heard people say man i just wish we were like the book of acts right and we were like this church that met in homes and, and shared everything in one accord and, and dedicated ourselves to the teaching of the apostles and the, the breaking of bread, right? And the koinonia, the fellowship, the community, right? And we pull all these things. And if I was to ask you maybe, hey, what is church? Like, what is the church? And you, maybe you would use some of that in your answer. You know, maybe you've heard like people say, hey, the, you know, the church is in a building. It's people, right? Or people have said, I can go to church in my living room because I'm worshiping God. I don't need to be around other people. The church is wherever I'm worshiping God. Maybe you've heard people say the church is a place for the sick and the lost. Maybe you've heard people say the church is for believers to be in a spiritual family. What I find funny is my list grew short of what people define as the church and grew far longer about what people define as their preferences of church. You can ask people, what, what, is, what, what is the church to you? And what people talk more about is, well... Uh, is, is it a small church or a big church, right? Maybe you prefer one or the other. If you're here, you probably prefer a small church, let's be honest. You can only fit so many people in this room. Uh, your preferences could include, does it have a kids' ministry? Is it a good kids' ministry, right? What are they teaching my kids or my future kids? Is it in my community? Is it in my context? Is it in my zip code? Is it in my city? Is it close? Is it young? Is it old? Are there old people? Are there young people? Or do you want both? Is it progressive? Is it conservative? Or is it anti-political? Trey never talks about politics. It's great. I love it. Is it, is it one that, that you want authentic community? Or is it one that you want excellence? A lot of times people want both. You can't have both. You can't have excellence and authenticism because when you're authentic, you're broken and you make mistakes. You want excellence. Do you want authentic, authenticity? Do you want broken people around you? Or do you want a stress-free community? You often can't have both of those. Broken people are broken, and they break other things. Do you want a, a great preacher who's dynamic? Do you want a young preacher? Do you want an old preacher? Do you want an intellectual preacher? Do you want a hype preacher? Do you want a hipster preacher? Then you have your theological hills that you'll die on, right? Do we have all-male elders or have diverse leadership? Do we believe that baptism is what saves us or that it's a symbol? Do we believe in an inclusive, progressive idea of marriage or hold to a traditional, historic Christian view of marriage? Do we prioritize house churches or are we more about large, seeker-friendly gatherings to meet people where they are any Sunday of the year? Do we have a standard for tithing and giving or do we have no conversations about money? Do we have worship with drums or do we sing hymns or do we mix them together? Is it predominantly similar social classes or races to me or is it incredibly racial or, div or economically diverse? Does it have short Worship services that usually go an hour, or is it long, organic, spirit-led, 
you better buckle up a couple hours services. Does it give to the marginalized, support pregnancy centers, support uh, missionaries from afar, et cetera, et cetera? There's way more to mention. I'm sure some of those tensed you up a little bit. You're like, oh, he said my side. He knows me. He's calling me out. We have tons of preferences. And at the end of the day, I think we have to be honest with ourselves that when we talk about church, we have a lot of ideas about what church is that, one, are not biblical, and maybe are, and two, we've inherited from what we've known. Right? Whether you've, if you haven't grown up in the church, you have ideas of what church should be. If you have grown up in church, you have ideas of what should be. Or you, it was so bad that you're like, well, I want the opposite of that. I don't want whatever that was. And I will run far away from whatever it was to this. And I'll be honest with you, like, you know, from a pastor's perspective, like, I, I, it's just a mess. And I get tired of it. For me personally. I grew up, uh, I would consider myself kind of an oddball um, you know, I'm a white middle-class male who grew up conservative, went to a moderate school with a lot of progressive people, and then I moved across the country to Arizona uh, in, in Tucson and was at a pretty conservative church there, and then I got my master's at a fairly liberal school, and now I'm here in Columbus, right? And uh, I've been a part of a CMA denomination, non-denominational restoration church, movement, American Baptist, uh, Wesleyan, and now Caris Fellowship. So you name it, I've been there. And some, some of you just say, well, you just don't seem happy wherever you are. Uh, or some of you are like, I respect that. The man can't be pegged down. I like that. I trust him more, you know. But I will tell you uh, that it's, at the end of the day, I, I've, I've come to one conclusion, and it's that all of them are wrong in some capacity. They just are. I'm wrong. You're wrong. And the sooner we're willing to admit that and remember the church is full of broken people, the better and the more free and the more graceful that we can be with ourselves and other people. And, I, I, and I, I will prove to you why that matters in the second part of that, that, that sentence. But in the first part, the church is full of broken people. We all have to realize that we are there. And in fact, what's been hard for me personally is that because I find myself a bit of a theological oddball in, in this is that I feel lonely. Because you see tribes or, or denominations or groups or whatever, and from the outside, you're like, well, even though like they have to subscribe to a certain set of beliefs, they do seem like they have a lot of friends and family. Like, whether you like it or not, tribalism has an attractive approach to it because you're part of something, right? And to not be a part of that or to have critiques of it or have critiques of the other side or to be in the middle is an incredibly lonely journey. And oftentimes, you get shot at from both sides, right? If you're in the middle and you're on the fence, you get shot at from both sides. You're not able to be in one. You're not tucked under the wing of one camp or the other. And uh, for me, it's been incredibly lonely. And I, I don't know if some of you personally resonate with that. You feel like you're in the middle of some different things, whether it's just church, whether it's religion, whether it's politics, whether it's what have you. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to say where you should be or shouldn't be, but I think we have to acknowledge it that anywhere you go on the spectrum of any of these things, there is brokenness, there is sin, and there is a lot of pride. And if that is the case across the board, then we have to ask ourselves, what do we who follow Jesus do about that? Because I don't think it's okay. I don't know about you, the last few days, I have not been in a good headspace. I have had friends who have said very intense things on social media, and I have had other friends who have said very opposite intense things on social media. I have had conversations with people. I have had text messages with people. I have had emails with people. And after a while, I just want to sit in my backyard and watch my daughter swim in the pool. You know, like, I want to just wish the world was not as big as it was and didn't have as many complexities as it does, and I just want to isolate. But at the end of the day, we're not called to that. We are called to meet it head on and figure out what would Jesus do in this situation. 
And for you today, we're going to actually get a really cool story of brokenness and sin in the church, and we're going to see what happened. And I'm going to give you an understanding of what the church truly is in the midst of cultural, political division, because I'm, to be honest, I'm tired of it. And I don't know if you are either. And what's funny is people sometimes will say, well, of, like, that's tough on you, Trey, but you got the opportunity to plant a church. So you just get to pick everything, right? Like, I get to make all the decisions. Like, I get to pick what color that wall is, you know? How cool is that? And it's funny because do I get to make decisions? Sure. I, yeah, I, I'm the pastor here. Great. Is there a lot of things that, that happen that I don't get to decide or I don't get to pick? Absolutely. Now, if I wasn't the pastor here, I'd totally go here. I love this church. I think you guys are great. But to assume, like, oh, like, well, Trey's just lucky because he gets to plant, so he gets to pick whatever he wants. And I'm like, no, like, there are things that I'm submitting to that I don't agree with. There are things and pe- the things that people do or decide to do that I have to just relinquish and let go of. There are days constantly that I am like, Lord, even though I'm in charge of some things, I feel more and more out of control. Like, I feel like I have less and less control the more we grow, the more new people we have. You name it, right? Like, and, and, and so I have, I have I've felt this. And I have read this passage today, and I have determined that I myself and our church is full of broken people. And I hope you'll agree. So Acts chapter 6. We're actually skipping a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. We normally don't do this, but the passage before this was very similar to one that we taught on a few weeks ago. And so if you're interested in reading that passage, you can read that and listen to our a teaching that we gave a few weeks ago. But we are in Acts chapter 6 in verse 1. We're just going to read the first passage there, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it. I'm in the net, the N-E-T. If you're not there, that's okay. Just don't be confused if the words are different. Now, in those days, when the disciples were growing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called the whole group together, the disciples, and said, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God to wait on tables, but carefully select from among you, brothers, seven men who are well attested, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this necessary task. Now I'm going to stop there. So we have an issue. The, 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 spoiler alert, the church in Acts is not perfect. Uh, we've, we found this out last week, unfortunately, with Ananias and Sapphira, who lied about uh, giving to, to elevate their status, and the Holy Spirit was not happy that they had deceived them, and they killed over, both dead. And all of the people were like, oh my gosh, and it kind of weeds out the lukewarm people. They're like, if we're going to follow this guy, like this is a big deal. It's very serious. And now we get to the point where all of a sudden it starts to grow outside of that. And then before you know it, all these Greek-speaking Jews who lived all around the Mediterranean area and parts of, would be visiting Jerusalem, would live on the edges, own land on the edges, are like, we want a piece of that too, right? Like, we want some of that. And so they start to engage, and they actually start to like have kind of two different services, right? They have one in Hebrew, and then they have one in Greek. Or they have sm- like small groups. They have groups of people talking in Greek and uh, talking Hebrew. And these people didn't necessarily love one another. Um, they maybe weren't as antagonistic towards like a Jew and a, Ro- a Roman or a Gentile, but they were not happy that they spoke in Greek. They did not speak in the traditional Aramaic Hebrew uh, way of speaking that they would have. And so what happens is you see this tension. What is happening? The, the Hellenistic or the Greek-speaking Jews started to get overlooked, the widows, and in this culture, the widows were different than they are now. Not that the, the meaning of a widow has changed, but that the cultural implications of being a widow have changed. In today's, in, in the United States specifically, let's not say the whole world, because that's different. In the United States, if you become a widow, you still have a fairly good chance at being able to survive. You are able to get a job. You are able to receive either life insurance or welfare or different things, right? Or people can just help you, right? You're more aided. 
Well, in this culture, if you were a widow, you basically had to get remarried or you weren't going to survive because women did not make enough money doing jobs that were somewhat healthy. And, and so there were lots of widows, and people died a lot back then, a lot earlier than we did. In their 30s was pretty common, 40s, 50s. And widows were abundant, actually. And it was the, the church's job to take care of the widows. Now, just pause here on a side note. It was the church's job to take care of widows. And I, I think that nothing has changed today. Now, we know the government can help, but are there people who are marginalized that we are neglecting and not taking care of? The loss, the foster, the adoption, the the orphan, the widow, right? The sick, the disabled. Like, it's the church's job to take care of those. The government has had to step in because the church hasn't done their job. Here, their job was to take care of the widows. And so what they would do is, and at this time, we remember all these wealthier followers of Jesus decide, you know what? I'm going to sell land. I'm going to, like, give away a bunch of money. And let's just let's put it at the apostles' feet, and then they will distribute it to these people who need it. We also know that three chapters later, they ran out of money. So it wasn't the greatest strategy. Um, but currently, it's working. They're feeding the widows or taking care of them. Um, it just wasn't sustainable, right? If one of you was very wealthy and you sold your house and gave it to us, it might help us to build a new building, but we still have to pay for the building for the next 30 to 100 years, right? That's how it works. And so they, they gave all this money, and what's happening is the people who were in charge of d- distributing it to the, the widows were Hebrew, Aramaic-speaking people. Now, we don't know for sure if... These people were like being completely discriminate where they're like, I don't like your language. I'm going to give to you last. We don't know that for sure. However, we can, we can assume that they're being overlooked, which means that there's a reason why they're not getting these needs. And it appears as though it's only the Hellenist Jews, not both, both, um, both sides. So here we have like literally these people coming to Jesus saying all are one in Christ, right? Like any, like anybody's capable of following Jesus. And in the very own church itself, you have corruption and discrimination literally within weeks later, right? And I think we forget that when people come into our church or churches, they don't just walk in and all their baggage is gone. (laughs) They bring it with them, whether they like it or not, whether they're aware of it or not. And that baggage affects everyone else's baggage. And it's just a, we're just a giant church of luggage, (laughs) right? And everybody's got their bags. Some are bigger than others. And, and, and it's like, look, this is just like, this is, Sure, 2,000 years ago, it's still today. People come in and they have opinions or they have um, thoughts on things and everybody's confused because they're like, wait, you're like, you follow Jesus. Like, this shouldn't be a problem. And it's like, since when has this not been a problem? <laughs> since when have you not had a conversation with someone that's a Christian that you've disagreed with? And here we have just this level of discrimination. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds of whether, you know, there's big, there was bigger social and cultural differences between these two people groups. They did live life differently. Um, they did believe things differently, and, and so there was a significant difference in the way that they lived and believed. I wouldn't go as far as to say it would be like being a Democrat or Republican, but it was definitely being culturally different. It could be like somebody who was raised in a rural community versus someone who was raised in the city. They just see things differently. They might be politically different, but they just see things, live life at a different pace, prioritize different things, even sometimes use different words, right? Like there's just a difference about them that has to be assimilated together, and there's always tension in the midst of that. And, and so this is happening, and now, now, like I said, remember the first line, what we see is the church is full of broken people. This church is full of broken people. It's full of discriminate people. It's also full of legitimately broken people like widows who have experienced grief and loss. And these problems come to light. And what's so important is, is, is not that these problems are not going to exist, because they do, no matter what. You can't run from them. If you think they're not around, you're not looking at them. Um, 
But they, they ha we have to be willing to acknowledge that these things happen. We have to be willing to not turn a blind eye. We have to be acknowledging the fact that we have blind spots. I shared several weeks ago in the, in the Gospel of Matthew the passage in the Sermon on the Mount that was about not judging, right? It was like, if, when you judge somebody, make sure you take the plank out of your own eye before you judge the speck in someone else's eye. The idea that you probably have far greater things to worry about that you're neglecting before you go criticize someone else. And that idea, I pulled up the stat, this researcher, Tasha Urich, uh, she said, according to her research, uh, thousands of people from all over the world, 95% of people believe that they're self-aware, but only about 10% to 15% actually are. So what does that leave you with? A lot of people think they're really self-aware. On your resume, you're like, I'm pretty self-aware. And they're like, no, you're not. Which is why any, any good interviewer would always ask their friend or their roommate, hey, are they actually, like, do they have any clue, like, who they are and what they do and their problems and... And most roommates, a good roommate, would be like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about his room, right? When I got my first job, my uh, boss, Pastor at the time, called my roommates and asked if I kept my room clean. And it wasn't like, I'm going to fire Trey, his room's not clean. But, but it was like, what, you know, can I find things that he might not be self-aware of or might be, like, kind of pushing aside? And so what, I, what, I'm, what I'm proving here is that each one of you have issues and you have problems and you have brokenness that you are fully not aware of right now. There are things that you are doing that are not okay, and you're not fully aware of it on your own. If you were left to your own devices, you would continue down that path, and you would not be aware of what is wrong. And that's incredibly important. And, and so I'm not saying there's not bad things occurring in the church. I'm not saying that there's, and, and here we see this, but if we don't have people around us that are able to acknowledge our blind spots, we are going to be blind. So I'd love for you to do this. Let's do this exercise. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I just want you to say, hey, you're not perfect. Can you do that for me? Just say, hey, you're not perfect. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. I only said one line. One line. Okay. Okay. Now, 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 okay. Now, step two, I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, but God knows that. Does that feel good? David, tell me I'm not perfect. Thank you. I'm not, I'm not sitting beside anyone, so. But God knows that. That's right. The church is full of broken people. What do they do about brokenness? Let's see in verse, uh, I stopped at verse, uh, I read the verse three. They, they need to they find someone to put in charge of this necessary task. In verse four, we will devote ourselves, this is the apostles, to prayer into the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the entire group. So they chose Stephen, uh, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, with Philip, Prochorius, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Par Parmenius, and Nicholas, a Gentile convert to Judaism from Antioch. They stood these men before the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly, and large groups of priests even became obedient to the faith. So, Problems happen. The apostles do not sweep them under the rug. They don't say, ah, we don't care. Now, they do have healthy boundaries, which I think is important. The apostles know, here's our role, right? We're not going to get necessarily involved in this. We're going to make sure that this is handled, but we ourselves are not. And they use the phrase, wait on tables. It sounds a little bit offensive. Like, we don't care about waiting on tables. I'm not going to be no server. I'm too good for that. It sounds very, like, pretentious, but the, the phrase is best translated, wait on tables, because they're talking about the actual money table that they would give the distribution of money or food to the widows. So it's, we're not making fun of you if you're a server. You have a respectable job, okay? 
Um, but the apostles are saying, this is what God has called us to. Are there other people in our community who can take this burden? And what we see here initially from this is that, is one, at the end of it, Luke kind of makes it seem like it works, right? Like the church started growing, priests are coming to faith, they continue to spread the word. So Luke is saying, hey, these things that occurred fix the problem, right, in this instance. Now we can't shy away from fixing the problem, but what is very cool in this is that the apostles don't take all this weight on themselves. In fact, other people step up and lead in the areas that they might be gifted or called into. I think about this from, a, uh, from my perspective. Like, I have gifts and I use them in our church, but I am not this, like, do-it-all, everything is under me and I, I handle everything. Like, I didn't serve you coffee and hold the door and run sound and I'm up here, right? I can't do all that, and it's good that I can't do all that. And in some ways, it allows people to use their gifts and to serve a community of a church that we all have fair ownership in what we're doing together. Paul uses this illustration of the body, right? He talks about, like, we're a body. The, head is, uh, the head is Christ, Jesus, and we're different parts. And some parts get more glory than others, and those are the ones that we should, we should actually try to humble, and the ones that do not, are not received are the ones that we should try and elevate, which is why uh, Hannah's running Pro Presenter today, and I just want to give her a round of applause. We love Hannah. Nobody, nobody cares about the Pro Presenter unless they make a mistake, right? If they do their job, no one, no one knows, right? Because the slides came up when they should, right? But that is the biblical narrative of the church, is that actually I shouldn't do it all myself. If, you, if I am doing it all myself, there's a problem. And I want, to prove, I want to prove this in another passage. In Ephesians 4, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus who had been navigating through these roles in different um, um, places for people to serve. And he says this. It's kind of a long passage. I'm just going to read parts of it. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, as a prisoner of the Lord, to live worthy a calling with which you have been called, with all ready, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity in the Spirit, bond of peace. How's that going this week? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you two were called to the hope of one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Skipping down, Jesus, it was He who gave some as apostles, as prophets, as evangelists, as pastors and teachers to equip the saints, which is a fancy word for followers of Jesus, for the work of ministry that is to build up the very body of Jesus. Until, let's do it until, we attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God who is a mature person so that we are no longer to be children, that we're not tossed back and forth by waves carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes, but practicing the truth in love we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. From him, the whole body grows. It's fitted, it's held together through every supporting ligament. As one each does it part, part the body grows in love. And the church is full of broken people. And in this moment, we see that Jesus has not decided to make it one man or one woman or whatever to run it. And so what they do is they, I don't know if you realize this, I had a hard time reading these names because they're pretty unique, but the seven people that they... Uh, gave this role to were Hellenist uh, uh, Jews. In fact, one of them was it was a Gentile and converted. So they gave authority to the very people group that was being neglected. They said, we're going to give you 
Do you have you understand them better than us? You have the ability to just like have felt for them, speak in their language. We're gonna we're gonna give them this role and this gift and this opportunity. And we call them deacons. Your translation might say deacons. Probably not the most accurate term to be honest, um, because deacons today in most churches function very different. But what it is is you know what we what we over overarch call deacons is just servant leaders. It's people who want to serve, whether it is counting money, or it's cleaning the church, or it's mowing the grass, or it's serving on some capacity on Sunday. Like, deacons are this role that's established, prayed over, agreed upon by the community, and and from there they serve in unique ways. And now, I don't know if any of these men were like, we're just so good at counting money and distributing food. Probably not. They were probably just eager. It said they were, they had basically integrity, right? They were, they had integrity. Um, It says that they were well attested, which yeah, means that they, people respected them. They were full of the Spirit, and they had wisdom. Those are the three prerequisites we see here for these people. So Donovan says they were gifted at financial reasoning. They just were hungry to be a part of the family. And so what is going on here, and this is the second point of the sentence, God, God uh, understands the church is full of broken people who God chooses to use for his plan. That's the second part. The church is full of broken people who God chooses to use for his plan. He does not reluctantly be like, ugh, this is all I got. Let's make it work. Right? He chooses to do it. He chooses you to be a part of a church knowing you're broken, knowing we're broken, knowing we are going to have to deal with conflict and disagreement and tension and adversity and discrimination and racism and, and misogyny and you name it. Like, it is, it is in the church. Now, I'm not trying to say, like, everything's fine. Let's just not talk about bad things. Or they're going to happen. They're going to happen. No, that's not okay. We have, like, we have rules and boundaries. And, like, we're held by integrity, right, and, and accountability. But it will happen. And, and I, the reason why I'm saying this is because some of you have experienced it. And you have become very frustrated because, because honestly, it kind of rocked your boat a little bit. It was like, well, how, how could these people who claim to love Jesus, how could this sin be prevalent in this community? And I would argue that some Christians are some of the most prideful people on earth. So does it surprise you? If they have blind spots and they're not being held in a community, there's no one calling them out. I think about this in marriage. Like, Sarah obviously knows me better than any of you guys, and the amount of things that she can call me out for, there's so many more things that you, you, you see me up here. You maybe see me in the grocery store, and you can judge my food choices, but that's about it, right? Like, you don't necessarily see me parent my daughter in my backyard. You don't, like, there's very little that I get to see you. I don't get to see you at your worst. I don't get to see you yelling at your spouse or your significant other. I don't get to see potentially abusive text messages that you send to somebody. I don't get to see things that you've experienced, right, unless you open them up to me, which most people don't, right? And, and so at the end of the day, like, this is real and it's prevalent, and we have to do our best to follow the biblical narrative of what does it truly mean to be a body? A body is all connected. You don't fight with one, one arm does not fight with the other arm because if you do, they're both wasting their time and they're both stressing each other so that the whole body becomes purposeless and futile. And here, there's, there, there's a problem in the church. There's a problem of discrimination and they handle it and they handle it well and we see there's fruit from it. And so what I want to push for us to understand this is that, that God is not, he's not distant in these moments. He's not like, oh, I had no idea that was going to happen so quickly. Who would have known the Hebrew-speaking Jews would think they're better than other people. Who would have known? They haven't been doing that for centuries, right? And they did. And God is not like, oh, no, what are we going to do, right? God is like, no, 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 I, I trust uh, with my plan. I am confident in it. And in fact, 
The Father is so confident in it that Jesus echoes the exact same plan, and the Spirit attests to that plan. There's one thing that is in this church that is not outside in, in the world, and it is the Spirit. Like, there is the, we believe the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, in our community. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is you sitting in your chair reading your Bible, and the Spirit convicts you of something that you did not know or see or understand or, or see the weight of. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is your good friend coming up to you and saying, Hey, man, you're being an idiot, and let me tell you why. And then you, you push him aside, and then he comes back the next week with two people, and they both say, Hey, man, you're being an idiot. And let's just say you're really, you're really like, ah, I don't buy it. And then the community of people get together, and they have a little intervention with a sign on the wall. And they say, hey, we all think you're being an idiot. Would you like to live alone thinking you're not? Or maybe humble yourself and just for the benefit of the doubt, assume that you are being an idiot. Let's talk about this. And that is where humility and, and, and true church body function occurs. Where that doesn't happen is where you see mess that is not cleaned up, and then you see brokenness after brokenness. It's exponential of just generational brokenness and sin is because nobody is acknowledging, one, the church is full of broken people, and two, that God knows that, and he's doing something about it, that he is using through us with his spirit an opportunity to care for and love people. And so for many of you, the, the application of this is thinking about, like, what does this mean for us today is... You know, some of you have issues with church. Some of you have issues with our church. You're sitting here and you're like, oh, I got some things. I got a list, right? We don't really have a suggestion box, but if we did, you'd be happy to fill it, right? Um, some of you have had past church hurt, right? And you're like, feel like you're healing. You're like, this place is so much better, or whatever. It's just so different or so refreshing or, you know, great. Some of you have not even been in church. You've just seen lots of things about it. And you're like, this place seems weird. It seems different. Or it is what I thought it would be, right? And we have all these different expectations and understandings of church. And at the end of the day, our response here is, let's acknowledge that that's real. There is there's brokenness in the church, but let's, let's take ownership as a body and do something about it. And, and you don't just, now you're allowed to have an axe to grind about certain things, but if you just sit in that cynicism forever, you're doing a disservice to what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, when people say, I'm just, just me and Jesus, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of a church, whatever, like, it's actually not possible because if you, if you were alive when Jesus was alive, you would never be alone with him. <laughs> he was always around his community, his church, his people. And if he was alone, he was alone alone with God. He was not with anyone else. Sometimes he was with Peter and John, but he was, all, he was always with people. So you walking hand in hand with Jesus with no one else is not a real thing. Part of walking with Jesus is being a part of his community. And I, I want to close with this thought as I invite the band up. Is that this, this idea of a body is is this beautiful narrative we see in scripture, but another beautiful idea of the church is actually about a wedding. Jesus is considered the groom, the bridegroom, and we, if you are a believer, are part of the church, you are considered the bride, whether you are male or female. So I, know it's, I know it's a little weird, but you are part of the bride of Christ. Now, think about the, the implications of that. Let's say that you're, you're Jesus' best man, you're at his wedding. He's going to marry this weird abstract idea of the bride, which is the church. And you go up to him and you say, hey, so pumped for you. Can't stand your wife. She's ugly and she hurt me and I don't love her, but I love you and I'm here for you. How would that go over on his wedding day? Would you, I don't even know if you'd still be at the wedding. You'd be like, this is like, I don't want you here. <laughs> if you don't like somewhat love my wife or you don't fight to be part of loving my wife, even in her insecurities, like this is going to cause a serious relational strain between me and you. 
And a lot of people are like that. They want Jesus, but they hate his wife. And they don't realize, one, that, that he loves his wife, and two, that they are his wife as well, right? Like, you are criticizing the very thing that you are, right? That wife sucks. Oh, I'm also that wife, so maybe I don't suck. Well, they suck, I don't suck, right? And you play this game. And, and what I want you to know is that, like I said, God is aware of this, and I know he's aware of it because on Jesus' last night on earth before he was betrayed and crucified, in John 17, who does, who does he talk to and what does he pray for? He's alone, and he's, well, he's telling his disciples to watch for him. They don't do a very good job. And he's praying to the Father, and he's asking that the Father would keep the church unified. That they would quit, you know, over centuries would grow together, be one, not bicker over dumb things, and they would find true unity in the midst of, of diversity. Like, it, it's a matter of fact. Different limbs and bodies and, like, parts of your body are different. They function differently. They look differently. And he prays for them. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if that's what I do on my last day. I wouldn't pray, like, for, like, the church and the people would get along. I, I remember watching this documentary. It's etched in my brain. I feel like it was really trauma watching it. But there was a documentary done, or maybe it was, like, a dramatized series of the 9-11 plane crashes. And there was this long scene where they were filming one plane and they were trying to, like, bust in to, like, get the, to, to stop the people that were flying it. And um, people start calling people on their phones. And they start, like, they know, like, you know, we don't have much time, right? They start calling on their loved ones. They're like, I love you, I love you. Some people even were on the phone up into the crash, right? Just couldn't let go. And I think about, like, in those moments, we want more than anything to just reconcile and to be right with the people we truly love. And Jesus, on his last night on earth, wants the people, his wife and his bride and his church to be reconciled with each other in light of his prayer in his heart for them. Jesus spends his last night praying for the very people who hate his own wife, and who are his wife, and he's praying that they would acknowledge their brokenness and work together in doing something about it. And so I just want to encourage you as we, we enter into a time of reflection, we do this every Sunday, that you'd remind yourself that you, if, you, if you're a part of our church, if you're not, it's okay. You're allowed to spectate for a while. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but we, if you're a part of our church and you're a part of the family, you're a part of the body, right? You're not allowed to be a consumer. You're a part of the body. You do work. And that doesn't mean we're going to, like, burn you out or make you do 12 things. But you need to contribute. And if you have been cynical of areas or you have had church hurt or you have had pain, I encourage you, this is an opportunity, I think, for you to lay at the feet of Jesus. It's not going to go away, but we want to talk about it. We want to have a conversation about it. We want to move forward. We want to put in solutions that we believe are honoring and under prayer and guidance and under the community where we can hold people accountable. And for you, I think that's just a lot of people need that freeing step, right? You're stuck in cynicism. You're stuck in anger. And it's just exhausting. And I myself have to repent of the things that I've thought over people over the last few days. We are a church. We will be together in, in heaven for eternity. And if we are not living like that now, we are missing a massive piece of Jesus' marriage with his church. So I want to encourage you, can, if you believe in Jesus and you'd like, we have the um, communion up front and in the back. We also have gluten-free in the very back. Um, otherwise, you can just reflect. We have people in the very back who would love to pray for you. And uh, we're going to close. Well, I think we're going to have two more songs. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.